Um, if you have your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians 8 is where we're going to be for a good chunk of our time this morning. Um, uh, I want to stop and I want to pray. And I want to pray for our kids who are about to go back there and not just be entertained and um, play some games, but to, to hear the teaching of the gospel. And then I also want to pray for us. Um, and I'll just be honest, my, <laughs> I, sent, I was sitting over there and I sent a text to the elders and they just said, hey, uh, my heart's super heavy because we're talking about money. And I'm going to share a story here in a second after I pray about an abuse of this role and money. And I just want to be real careful uh, because money, Jesus cares about money. He does. He cares about everything. That includes our money. So we should teach on, on everything, including money. Um, but even in this context, there's, um, I just want to be so careful that you hear uh, the heart. And here's the, here's the danger. For those of you who've maybe never been to this place before, um, be careful basing your view on a church about your one time you've been to it. Okay? Um, because heartbeat in the vision of all that we are and all that we do can only be seen, yes, in, in one time, but also in the, okay, let's, let's flesh this out. What does this mean? What does this look like? Why, like? why are they teaching on money? Well, we have money. We have money problems. We need money in this life. God cares about money. But what does that look like and what does that mean? Well, let's pray. Jesus. I resonate with that song. It's about your glory. And here in this moment, I pray that you would move among us. God, it's not about me or any one person in this church or in this world. It's about you. It's not about this church. God, and I thank you so much that the heartbeat of this church is that we are just open-handed people. And I pray that you'd push us deeper. I pray for our kids as they sit and are taught and are learning the truth about your word and about the gospel. And I pray that you would lead our teachers and guide their words and their interactions where kids are challenging. Would you help them where kids, God, would you just soften these kids' hearts to hear the truth of the gospel? And we pray in Jesus' name. Spirit, I need you. Amen. Uh, so in high school, uh, I was a big-time athlete and had the privilege of um, winning a state tournament uh, in soccer my junior year, 99, um, and then my senior year, uh, also winning a state tournament in basketball in 2000. And when you win state, in, at least in, in our context, in a lot of contexts, you get the chance to go to nationals. And uh, I remember as, a, as an athlete, it was just a crazy privilege to be able to, to go as a high school student, to go to nationals, um, we went to a national tournament in, in Tennessee and played some unbelievable competition. My senior year, um, I remember guarding a guy who was um, like six inches taller than me and was, um, got a full ride to Georgia Tech. Um, and just like, I mean, it was just unreal, the competition we experienced. Um, but it was, uh, the whole national tournament was shaped by a, a Christian camp. And uh, Every night they had chapel. And I remember both times I went, my junior year and my senior year, we'd sit in chapel, and uh, the director of this camp would get up. And I remember one specific time he was praying, and he said, Lord, I pray you'd open up our hearts, 
and you'd open up our pocketbooks. And I was just like, what? Like, I was so confused. And, and, then, and as a kid, I remember sitting there and hearing this director coerce, like for 15, 20 minutes, coerce and plead, and man, God's doing a work, and you know, you need to give, and like, like we're high school kids, and like, I got nothing, right? I got no money, I don't have a credit card, I don't have anything to give to this guy, and he's up there like, you know, like, you need to give, like, here's what we're doing, and, and this, this place is doing great things, I'll, I'll be honest about that, but really, like, it was like this guilt trip to give, okay? Now, 10 years later, I had the privilege to take my basketball team, who won state, to nationals. And here I am as a coach, sitting around my guys. Probably half the team is Christians, and probably half of the team is not Christians. And we're sitting here, we're in this massive gymnasium, and the director, same director, is standing down on the court, and no lie, 20, maybe 30 minutes is coercing and manipulating and like, and I'm just, I'm literally, I'm heartbroken. I'm looking at my guys and they're like on their phones, like, and I'm like, yeah, like, can I play? Like, this is a joke, right? And just like, my heart was so burdened because I was like, this is so wrong. Um, And after the chapel service, I, I brought my team over and I said, guys, I want to apologize. Like, that was absurd and wrong. And I want to apologize for the manipulation you just sat under by a Christian man trying to guilt you into giving to his work at this national tournament. Listen, here's the crazy thing. Here's the the tough tension um, as the church is that there's a lot in culture that have a, a, this angst against the church because of the topic of money. And they say, all the church wants is our money. Okay, and, and so he, here's kind of as we go into this, and, and I'll say this, if, if you weren't here last week, please do me this favor. Go back and listen to the podcast. Okay, and hear the heart of the gospel regarding money. I mean, Rick just killed it. Okay, um, but... But secondly, like, here's what's crazy. First of all, if you've been, if you felt the guilt or the manipulation or felt like, like coerced into giving one, like, we pray that you never would feel that. And if you ever sense like this, like, well, they just want me to give, like, don't give. There's a reason why we have these baskets next to the bread and juice that, that remind us of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. That's like, we don't buy ourselves into the kingdom of God. We don't pay God money so that he'll like us. No. But here's the other thing that I think why this is super important for us. As a church that wants to live out the gospel in everyday context, in everyday life, that we want it to saturate our hearts and saturate every moment of every life, is we're, we're living among a culture that's anti-church because of the history and the message of money in the church. And so we need to, be, we need to know how to speak the truth about what the cross means and its implications for our finances. So that's why this is super important. Um, Rick concluded his time last week, and here's kind of where I want to jump off as we dive in. Um, I'll get to 2 Corinthians in just a second. Um, is this passage in Matthew 13, 44. Um, Cooper, can you throw that up on the screen? Here's what it says. 
It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Listen to that. In his joy. The heart of this morning is about joy. The heart of the message of this topic of money is about your joy and my joy being found in a treasure that's greater than physical possessions, but that's found in a God who came and and paid the life of his son so that you and I would be called to him. He purchased our life with the blood of his son. That's how much he wanted us in his family. Even though we're a people that spit in his face and hate him and disown him and mock him. He says, I love you. I'm going to purchase you. That's the joy that's seen in this treasure Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Now it's crucial that we set this foundation because I'm going to get really practical. And so I want to say this, that if at any point you hear in your mind that the church is all about money, like I just want to tell you, this church is not. Like we wrestle with this as elders. Like, how, like we probably don't teach on money enough, but we just want to be careful. And maybe we're too careful on the other side of it. But we're just not about money here. Um, Anyway, we'll get more into that. But if at any point during this message you feel guilty, um, like that he just wants me to give at the end, like I don't care if our giving is crap at the end. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, I just said crap. It's it's okay. Um, Listen, I want the Spirit of God to work here. And where he leads, like, in joy we give. Um, and in joy we follow obedience. Second Corinthians 8. Um, here's the crazy thing. Is that giving is really a call to worship. It's a call to worship God. And how we handle finances, how we handle money, it's a call to worship God. But Second Corinthians 8. The back story to Second Corinthians is um, the Apostle Paul hears of some believers who are struggling financially. And what does he do? He rallies the church to come and help. He says, hey, guys, come here. There's some people over in a couple towns over. Man, they're hurting. They're struggling. I want to help them. Listen, that should be the church. That's what we want to be as a church, as a people that see need and want to live open-handedly to go and run with all that we are to meet that need. That we're not so busy looking at ourselves that we don't see the needs that are around us. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. And so here's, here's the verses, 2 Corinthians 8. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave themselves according to their means, they gave of themselves, or for they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act 
of grace. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Um, here's what's crazy. The, the beginning of the verse talked about money is really a means by which we steward grace. We manage the grace of God, and people, through the way we use our money, see something. Our money tells a story of something. God's heart is that our money would tell a story of his grace through the way we handle it, through the way we channel it, through the way that we use it. Here's what's crazy. Look, at, look down at the verse. It talked about these people that are in need for in a severe test of affliction. Okay, but here's what's crazy is these people that had need were in affliction. But listen, there was hardship going on with those that were giving. Right? What does it say? For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Like, what do you do in poverty? When you're in poverty and you're struggling, what do you do? You fight to make it. Right? It's like you protect yourself, you protect your own, like you get by. Jesus says that what poverty forces us to do, and here's why these, these believers, that even in their own poverty were able to give. Did you see the, the words that said they gave beyond their means? Like, I don't have this, but I'm going to give. Like, I can't afford this, but I'm going to give. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to open-handedly give to love and meet your needs so that when I have a need, you'll meet my needs. That's kind of what it's about, right? Here's what's crazy. The only way you can do that is when your view isn't on yourself, but is on the Lord. These individuals here, the only way they could do that is they knew their provider wasn't them. I don't care how impoverished you are or how rich you are. The goal is to see God's the one who provides. And so in a severe test of affliction, the means by which you can give generously is by saying, God, you're the provider. Here's the truth. What you do with your money tells a story. It tells a story. It's speaking a message to people. What kind of message is it speaking? Um, Growing up, uh, this was crazy because I grew up in a family that, I mean, I have really smart parents. And a really um, smart dad is a businessman. And here's what's crazy is my dad is a business owner um, who saved tons of money. And I, I got to watch my parents just give to people. Um, and one of my dad's dreams, one of his goals was with, with every restaurant that he would purchase, they would find a family that they could support. And I remember working in the operation of Subway Waiting on customers at the same time I'd see my parents sitting out at a table with a family who's doing the work of the gospel around the world, encouraging them and pouring into them, but also saying, we're committed to support you financially. Okay? You know what that that looks like? You know what that means? Like, this picture of, man, I don't care if you have a little, I don't care if you have a lot, like, you give. You're generous because it's a message of the Father and his great love for us. Okay, did he give a little? No, he gave the very life of his son. Everything to purchase us. To purchase us. So there were three things. Abundant joy. 
plus extreme poverty, produced in them this massive amount of generosity. Where they could give. And the reason was because they trusted God. God was their provider, not themselves. He was the one who provided for them. Um, Have you ever just been able to experience how fun it is to just give to people? Just to bless people. Maybe anonymously, maybe... um, Acts, Acts, Acts chapter 20 says it's more blessed to give than to receive. A lot of times we, like, we want to get, but have you ever just poured out blood? Like, I just want to give to somebody. Here's what's crazy. I remember times early on in, um, in my life where the Lord allowed, allowed my wife and I, where we were just struggling, but we sensed the Spirit wanted us to give. And we're like, we don't, we don't really know how this is going to happen. We don't really have this. We don't really know what to do here. And through Spirit, He led us to to just obey. And he empowered that act. And it was crazy to just watch how he provided what we thought we needed. God will always supply the means to obey what he calls you to do. But God isn't up in heaven, like pounding the hammer. You just need to obey. No, he's wooing us. He's wooing us into his presence, saying, listen, this is where your joy is found. And you coming to me, being in relationship with me. And when you're in relationship with me, you're open-handed. Because our lives tell the world what the Father is like in the sending of the Son. Listen, if you're a Christian in the room, every single person should be able to look at you and see in your life the message of the gospel proclaimed out through you. And out through you, how you manage your, your life. You're everything. Here's a question. Do you guys tip... Is it like, I only like to tip if the service is good? Horrible, so I'm giving you a penny. I have a story I'll tell you later if you want to know about a penny tip. Okay, but listen. Only like to tip if the service is good? Because that's what God did to us, right? We served him so well and so faithfully, and so he blessed us with salvation. No, no, no. The stores you frequent, man, bless people. Give. I don't care how awful they are. May it be a reminder of how awful you are and you were and the loving pursuit that God did in wooing your heart to him. That's the story. It's how we view money. That's how we view our stuff. What kind of story are you telling with your money? Here's what's crazy. Maybe you're at a place where you're just like, man, I I really feel like God has us at a place where we're trying to honor him with open-handed generosity. And we're doing well. Well, here, I want to challenge you. Look at verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, like you want to be more faithful, in speech, you want to speak better words, be more encouraging, in knowledge, you want to know more, you want to know the Lord more. In all earnestness and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You know, this is a part of our ongoing sanctification is that we, the more we understand the generosity of God through his son, the more generous we, we are. Like, we don't arrive, right? Like, we just want to, like, we just come here on a Sunday and we just, like, write a check or whatever. Like, no, like, that's not what it's about at all. As if it's a checkbox. No, it's God wooing us more and more forever into his presence for all of eternity. 
See that you excel in this act of grace also. Verse 8 goes on. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also be genuine. You know how you know love is genuine? When it's done in sacrifice. When it's easy, man, I'm going to give when it's like, we got some extra. I'm going to give. Well, you should do that. But what about when you don't have extra? That's when you know love is genuine. When it's done, when it, when it pursues and persists past the difficult to still be faithful, to model Jesus in the garden. It says, I don't, I don't want to do this, but God, it's not about me. So may through the, through the proclamation of my life, may you be seen as everything. For you know, verse 9, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, here's the gospel, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Like that's the message we're to proclaim with everything that we are, including our money. Rich or poor, Jesus, rich, gave up everything so that you and I, could become rich in Christ. Does your money tell that story? Our money tells a story. It's a proclamation of the gospel. Um, I want to share a tangible story with you. Um, I want to have Rebecca come up. Um, Basically, I want to kind of turn the corner here and, and get super practical as we think about what does it look like to see our money as a means to advance the gospel. Um, Rebecca is going on a trip this summer, um, and she's going to share with us a little bit about what you're doing. So, so Ina York is a missionary to the Dominican Republic, um, specifically Cercadillo, which is a village outside of the city, and um, just really impoverished when she started working there. Um, actually, a lot of them were kind of dying from just lack of food, water. Um, I met her in 2008 and um, have just had the opportunity to work with her a couple of times. Um, just a couple of things about her ministry. Their mission statement is to develop disciples of Jesus and to empower the people of Cercadillo through education and the development of healthy community systems. And they have four vision statements that they will become a community with a thriving evangelical church, a first-class school, an improved quality of life, and expanding, operate, expanding opportunities for generating income. So just some ways, quickly, that they're doing that. Um, they have a church that meets every week, and she's working with a church, a big church in the city, to kind of connect them and to help them with that. Um, she thought she would start a school, but God had other plans and has... Um, she does tutoring, but is now opening doors not only for her kids in the village to go to school, but for her to bring people in to help that school learn kind of how to be a school because they don't really know. Um, improved quality of life. There are several things. They have like a toothpaste and vitamin ministry where they can get really cheap, just basic necessities. And they've built five quads of like bathrooms-ish. 
that we probably wouldn't call bathrooms for the people there because they didn't really have anything. And expanding expanding opportunities for generating income, um, they've started... She taught her women how to sew, and they make things like this necklace, and she sells them to Americans and to wealthier Dominicans to give the women um, income. So God has just allowed me to come alongside her because she's an independent missionary. She really needs a lot of help, and I have my summers off as a teacher, so God's just provided a way for me to go and serve and help her. So um, can you share like just real quick tangible ways that we can support you? Um, yeah. Um, well, if you just want to give to her ministry, you can go online to sarahcadillo.org, and um, there's ways to give. But also, if you want to give to my trip, that would be great. And um, you can do that by giving through North Church. Um, you can just specify to my trip. And yeah, and also through our online giving, there's a way you can designate. If you go to our website, there's a way you can designate it to specifically her trip. Um, and so, do you still have money you're trying to raise? Yes, I do. So the total for this summer was around 1500 and I for sure have 700 So that's about where I am. Okay. But awesome. Thanks. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, just, a, just a really practical, tangible way. I mean, we know and love, love Rebecca. I mean, her heart is to, to see disciples raised up. We see that in her life. And here she's going back again. How many times have you been? This is your third? Four. Um, she's going back again. This is your fifth. I mean, it's just too many to count. She's going to move there. No, we hope not. No, we hope. No, I don't know what we want. We just want what Jesus wants. Um, so, because uh, our hearts are torn there. Um, so, uh, just a real, real practical, tangible way that you can uh, serve the Lord um, and meet the needs that are present. Um, I want to. I want to just get real practical, and I want to basically ask three questions and then answer them. Uh, here's the first question. Thinking about money and thinking about being generous. What if I can't afford to give? You ever thought about that? Like, man, money is hard. Money is tight. Money is difficult. Um, I can't. I don't have the money to give. Maybe Rebecca's up here and you're just like, I, don't, I wish I had money to give to her. Here's, here's what I want you to hear. I don't, I don't want you to hear this. I, want you, I don't want to detach our money and our joy. Okay? Because the, what we're called to is open-handed generosity. Now, I'll be honest. Some of you, you're absolutely not called to support Rebecca. And I don't think you should. That's a decision that you need to make with the Lord. Okay? So don't hear me say, you, you better give to Rebecca. No. Like, you need to seek the Lord regarding all of your money. And allow him to lead you and guide you. It's about a relationship. Do you hear that? It's about a relationship with him. It's not about you just listening to a guy with a microphone telling you what to do because this is a good cause. There's a whole lot of good causes. The Spirit of God is in you to lead you and guide you and, and move among you. But here's also what I'll say regarding, what, what, if, man, what if I just can't afford it? Listen, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? Um, and there's a real danger when we begin to think that money is our answer. Like, if, like you, you ever been there, like, if only I had a little bit more, and then you get that raise, and then you're like, where'd it go? Like, I still have bills to pay, and I still have, and you still need to meet more need. I, 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 where'd it go? And then, like, you get another raise, and you're like, oh, finally we can breathe. Now, we all know that those things help, Right? 
There's financial situations that come up. There's medical bills, like unexpected things that come up. And like that little bit extra, it helps. The reason why God calls us to be generous is not only to model the gospel, but to guard our hearts from the love of money and the love of our stuff. So I would flip the question to say, I know it's really mean of me to to force a question on you and then say, well, you asked a bad question, right? Can I do that? Well, let's flip the question. Let's flip the whole concept and say, can you afford not to give? Because if you're going to hoard and keep for yourself, then you're going to be in real danger of believing that that's what saves you, that that's your salvation, that that's your answer. But when you open-handedly, God, you're my provider. You're my provider. The Macedonian believers in, in 2 Corinthians 8 were in a severe test of affliction. And what did they do? They gave. Because they had an abundance. I got some extra. We'll give. No, they didn't. But they said, you know what? We'll trust the Lord is going to provide what he's leading us by his spirit to do. It's crazy because it says in verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord. It's like, God, I'm, that's part of what the call to Christianity is. God, I'm yours. It's not this religious pursuit where God's got a hammer up in heaven like he's a cosmic cop. Okay, no, he's like, he's wooing our hearts that he would become everything, that we're not our own. That's what we're talking about. We're not our own. We're all his. I love this quote by Randy Alcorn. And so he says, giving isn't a luxury of the rich. It's a privilege of the poor. Great. It's not a luxury of the rich. It's a privilege of the poor. Are you familiar with the, the verse in, in Mark 12 where there's a widow in the temple and there's some rich people and the rich people give an abundance. And then there's a poor lady who really has nothing. And it says she gave everything she had. Two coins. And God delighted in her. Because of the sacrifice that she made to give. Um, one of, the, one of the, the principles we see in scripture is this principle of first fruits. God wants your heart first before he wants your money. Okay? Um, but this is how the Macedonian believers were able to give in poverty. It's because it's not like, well, we'll see what we have left over at the end. Well, let's be honest. We're not going to have anything left over because we're just going to spend it on ourselves. But it's like, No. Like, first and foremost, to remind myself that God is God, he's on the throne, he's the provider, we're given first. It's called first fruits. In Deuteronomy 26, the farmers were commanded that the first harvest of their crops were to be given away. Think about that. Like, as a farmer, now I'm not a farmer, although I've been trying to go grass lately and it just kills me. Um, anyway, um, I can hardly compare that with farming. But, um, so, but as a farmer, like picture that. Like the crops grow up and it's just this amazing harvest, right? Do you know there's fear that the next ones might not come up? That what if they're stolen? Or what if they get choked out or there's some disease that comes? Like this is what they lived on. And yet God says, no, I'm your provider. you got to trust me. And the means by which you trust me is very first you say, God, this is yours. 
God, I'm yours. When, I, when an animal was born, the first of every animal born was presented in sacrifice. The picture of God. First. Because what did Jesus give? Like his worst? Whatever he had, or what did God give? Whatever he had left? No, he gave his first. He sacrificed his one and only son so that you and I would know him. He gave his best in Jesus. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be brimming with new wine. What is that saying? Like God's going to bless you and God's going to give you all this stuff and when you give to him, like you're going to be great? No, it's saying God's going to provide. And it might be through hard times. It might be through you having little and you being forced to trust him. Do you hate that? hate that. Like, why can't it just be easy? Well, then I, then, I, then I can do okay. But God's like, no, it's going to be hard. Because then you remember you can't do it. And then you're reminded you need me. And then you remember that this whole thing called Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. Not just about you paying your dues into the kingdom of God. Because Jesus paid what was due through the work of his death on the cross to pay the price that our sin did in separating. Jesus restored it. So don't ever think that your giving is you paying dues to get God to be happy with you because Christ paid all that was due. All that was due. Malachi 3.10, I love this. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. I just love that. Put me to the test says the Lord, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down from you a blessing until there is no more need. God's like, trust me. Trust me with everything. Everything. Including your money. It's hard to do. Second question. Just a practical question. How do I decide where to give my money? How do I decide where to give my money? First and foremost, ultimately, um, it's between you and the Lord. Um, ultimately, it's a work of the Spirit of God in you to lead you. Um, as families, as individuals, like it's a relationship. And so you sit with the Lord and you pray and you say, Lord, what does this look like? Okay, you call me to open-handed generosity. Where's it going? Who, whose needs can I meet? Where can I give consistently? Where can I give faithfully? And maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe your neighbor can't pay their bills. Well, then they should move because they're really, they need to mow their yard. No, you're there to be open-handedly generous, to be a picture of the gospel to them. Uh, the Old Testament tithe um, was given to the priests. If you look at Numbers 18.21, it was given to the priests in return for their service. In the New Testament, we see the work of um, giving, advancing the gospel through the local church. So here, here's what's true about Scripture. What we see about the heart of God is that the means by which God, God wants to advance His name and His gospel to see others brought into a joyful relationship with Him is through the local church. First and foremost. First and foremost. So that's why you give. Right? You ever wonder, like, why, like, why do we have, why do, why do churches have baskets? Like, why do churches, like, pass offering? Or why do, like, why do churches ask people to give? Because here's the means, but God's heartbeat is that the gospel would be advanced through 
the church, through his people, we're the church. Right? Rebecca's trip costs money. It costs her to get there. There's food. There's all, all these expenses that she doesn't have. And we have the opportunity as the church to say, listen, we're going to come alongside you. and We're going to send you. We're going to support you. Listen, you want to invest in your neighbor? You want to invest in them? Like, that costs money. That costs time. And we believe as elders that God's heart and God's desire is that that we would give to his church because it also shows a commitment. It shows, here's where I'm committed. So I'll just, I'll just be forward with you. I feel like I did a really good job at the beginning to say, hey, I'm not, I'm not up here to say you need to give your money and twist your arm, but here's the truth. If you're a member here or this is your home, you should give. Like that's, that's what Jesus calls you to do. That's what Jesus calls me to do. I give to this church. I give to it. Couple passages we see, um, Galatians six six that support this idea of the gospel going out through the church um, is the means by which the church is built up through teaching. So Galatians six six, the one who is taught, let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. So we see the gospel being proclaimed, and we see means by which through the church we're built up in the teaching of the church, and the gospel sent out as you're sent out. Um, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and therefore laborers deserve his wages. We see again there the means by which the gospel is proclaimed through the church. Uh, let's go on to the next question. I don't know, one thing I want to mention before I go on to my last question is this. Um, on, on May 20th, here in this room, uh, we're going to have a family gathering. And here's what we're going to do. We're, as elders, we're just going to continue to cast a vision for what we're doing. Um, and one of the things we're going to talk about is our finances. We're open about how we spend our money. If at any point you want to see every dollar we spend, I, I got a, with a couple clicks, I could send you a report of every dollar that's ever spent in this church. And I will gladly show you that. Um, and... But on May 20th, uh, we're going we're gonna to have a family gathering, and we're going to just gather together and worship the Lord together and talk about how the gospel is going out through North Church and how we handle our money. Um, and so if you are part of this church and you give to this church, like that's a really important time for you to be at because you can actually see and speak into how your money is being spent and how your money is being used to advance the gospel around the world. Um, Last question, just real practical. Um, ultimately, this question comes back to how the Lord leads you, but I want to hit it because it's, it's a good question. Um, how much do I give? Um, there really is no exact answer to this question, um, so I'm not going to sit up here and give you an amount. Um, but, but 2 Corinthians 9 says this. Uh, if you're still open to 2 Corinthians, if you glance down to chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Hear that, like not, not like this, I feel compulsion, I feel guilty. No, like as the Spirit leads, like decide in your heart as the Spirit leads, as the Spirit moves, not reluctantly, for God will love that you're a forgiver. Because it tells the story. 
God, I'm yours. I'm yours. In chapter 8, verse 15, it says, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. I love that picture. It's like we, we want for ourselves, we want for ourselves, and God's like, no, I want you to be a conduit of my grace with everything that I've given you to see that it's not your own. And so if you're going to hoard and make it about you, then in the end you're going to have nothing. But if through your life you can be open-handedly generous with all that you have, in the end you're going to have abundance because God's going to provide and God's going to meet your need and ultimately he's going to give you salvation. Um, so be led by the Spirit. The Old Testament teaches 10%. I don't that's a hard, we don't as always believe that's a hard, you need to give 10%. I don't, I don't believe that's necessarily the case, although I think it's a great guide. Um, but remember, this is a means by which we're to grow and excel in, is that we would be open-handedly generous. And that not when we just have it, but even when we don't have it. Um, four words that I think should mark our generosity. Number one is Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Like, it should cost you something. Right? Like, you should feel it. There should be an aspect to where it's like, in giving, you're like, oh, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Like, it's worship. It's the exaltation of, God, you're better than this stuff of this earth. And the money that I can get for myself. Faithfulness. You know what faithfulness is? Not just when it's easy, but when it's awfully hard. That's what faithfulness. So in your generosity, how much do you give? Whatever faithfulness looks like. Difficult? God, I'm just going to be faithful. Oh, we don't have it this month, so we can't give it. No. Open-handedly generous. Jesus is like, oh, I don't have salvation this, this month, like, so you're just on your own. No. It's a picture of the gospel. Thank the Lord that he's not that way with us. A margin, there's a third one, um, creating space in your, uh, in your budget. Um, several, around Christmas time, I was working at Subway, and a lady came in, and we struck up a conversation, and, and I told her that, uh, that my wife and I were fostering, and I began to tell her the story, and she said, you know what? I put money in my purse this morning. I just sensed the Lord wanted me to put money in my purse this morning. Um, didn't know where it was going to go. And she just said, I got $40. And I, if I give that to you, will you promise me that you'll use that to buy Christmas presents for your foster kids? And I just said, I said, absolutely. I was just unbelievable. Here, here's the, that lady's creating margin to be under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to say, where today might you point me to someone who has a need that I can give to? So we create margin. And the last one is joy. Last one's joy, not begrudgingly. That's not the heart of God. God's heart and, and, and our heart and our desire is that, that a delight in who God is would be attached to everything that we are. And that as people, we could find our joy not in our stuff and not in our money, but in Him. Um, let's pray and prepare to respond to the Lord. I just want to ask you two questions. Number one, where do you need to repent for giving out of obligation? 
but maybe you don't give it all. Maybe you struggle to be generous, or you think you're too broke to give, and the Lord wants to do a work in your heart, and so where do you need to repent and be led by the Spirit to give in faith? Father, thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray that you would take what's been spoken and by your spirit you would lead each heart that's in this room. And I pray that you would guide this time as we respond. Um, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for beckoning us to joy. That for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. May our very lives be a testimony of that sacrifice. We love you, and we thank you in, in Christ's name. Amen.